everyone. Welcome back to the Capsule in Conversation. I'm Natalie Anderson and this week I'm joined by actress and author Samantha Giles as we talk soaps, spells and switching it up. So sit back, relax and get ready to join in with our conversation. Hello all, thank you so much for joining us today. I hope you've all had a great week. Today is our last episode before taking a little summer break and coming back to you when the nights start to draw in in September. I actually can't believe we're not that far away from the autumn. It's safe to say it's been a very strange and eventful time for many of us and I for one am very much ready to enter a new season. Hopefully, it will bring about some much-needed normality. Plus, we get the added bonus of enjoying cosy nights in with candles and celebrating Halloween. And speaking of all things magical, my fabulous guest today knows a thing or two about casting spells. Please welcome the wonderful Samantha Giles. Hi, Sam. Hi. Hi, thanks for having me. Oh, it's so lovely to see you. Thanks for coming all this way over from Liverpool to come and see me. We've got so many exciting things to talk about. Now, Sam, most people will know you as the brilliant Benice Blackstock in Emmerdale, a role which you played on and off for 20 years. I actually can't believe that, 20 years. <laughs> However, you've also graced our screens as Valerie Holden in Hollyoaks and Sally Booth in Where the Heart Is and treaded the boards across the UK in notable productions of A Taste of Honey and Absent Friends, to name a few. More recently, though, you've been flexing your writing muscles and have just launched your debut children's book, Rosemary and the Witches of Pendle Hill, which tells the tale of two sisters and their friend who head off on a magical journey. Sam, congratulations. I mean, how does it finally feel to have the book out there because you've been working on it for ages now I know it's it's like a dream come true actually I I can't believe that it's in print and I'm holding a copy Aww. of it you know as we speak it's it's a real real dream come true and it's something that I started in 2017 actually so I've been working on it mm. I've been working on other things as well but obviously that took nine months to write so like having a baby um, yeah. and I did that while I was doing Emmerdale still so it was fitting it in uh, you know around everything else and family life and children and... <laughs> juggling that work-life balance as yeah. we all do <laughs> now is it is it am I right in thinking that the idea for the book came to you in in a dream that you had yeah, it did. I, I had this very, very vivid dream. I have lots of vivid dreams. but um, And I dreamt that there were these four characters, two female, two male witches, mm -hmm. that were living in the house with us. And they were very clear. You know, I could describe them to you. I mean, I described them quite um, clearly, hopefully, in the book. And I just thought, oh, what would it be like if... Uh, you know, if, if you did live with people like that and that you could see them, but maybe nobody else could. And so I thought the two children in the house would be able to see them and the mother, uh, but the father wouldn't be able to see them because it's only people that believe in magic that can see them. Yeah. So obviously in the grown up world, that's not going to be that many people, I guess. So it just sort of developed from there. And I didn't really have a a direction when I first started I just enjoyed it it was just such a creative thrill because as you know as, a, as an actor you kind of you don't really get much you, you have to do what you're told really don't you yeah you, you kind of creatively you you interpret what's given to you um, but obviously if the director doesn't like it or the producer you're told how to play something a little bit whereas you're completely in control when you're writing as you know so it was thrilling <laughs> I mean, and, and in terms of like, you know, that that first thing of putting pen to paper, we've we've had Millie Johnson in, we've had Kay in here, Kay Miller. And it, it is that kind of thing of going, 
oh, like you've got a blank page staring at you. I mean, it's thrilling, but equally terrifying at the same time, isn't it? Yes, it is. And I, I suppose when I started this, I didn't think about it being published or anything like that. I just thought I have to do this. And I think that's what you have to sort of mm. embark upon it as a journey of discovery for yourself and a creative thing. And I wanted to do it really for my children. And then when I sort of fiddled with it and uh, and they really enjoyed it, I thought, oh, I, maybe I could get this published. You know, if, if other people can do it, why can't I? Um, and what reason was it that you you wanted to do it for your kids so much? Like what really motivated that? I think like everybody, you don't want to be forgotten, do you? Mm. Not that I'm intending to die <laughs> just yet. <laughs> no, no, fingers crossed, let's touch wood. <laughs> no, touch wood. But I just thought I want to leave something of myself behind for them and for any generations to come so that, I'll be remembered, you know, and it's, you know, they can say, oh, your great grandma wrote this or whatever. And even though you've had, you know, such an amazing acting career, you know, you still felt like that about the writing, like as opposed to your grandchildren seeing you on television or in print or in magazines. I think it's a funny thing. I don't know if you feel like this, but I, I think a lot of actors do. You're out of control when you're an actor because you in your head you go, well, I'd like to do this job and this job and this job. Um, I don't particularly want to do that. And then actually you just have to say yes to whatever comes along. You know? <laughs> yeah. And if that's a fringe theatre show, uh, wonderful. And if it's, you know, a, a tiny little two lines on on, a, on doctors or whatever, then great. You just don't know. And a lot of the time you look back and you think, well... It's not really where I, I didn't want to be doing that. I wanted to be doing this or this or this, which sounds kind of a bit, you No, know. I get it. I get it in the, in the sense that that's the book that you wanted to write. Mm. Like that is what, not that you wouldn't want to be known for all the other work that you've done, mm. but something that you go now, actually, this is a true reflection of maybe who I am as exactly. a person. It's like when you, I remember hearing John Le Mazurier, whatever, however you pronounce his name, talking about, because he was well known for Dad's Army and everything and all the comedy. But actually, you know, a lot of people that are known for comedy like that, they really just wanted to play serious stuff. Yeah. And, and it, you think, what? You know, but he was great as that. And I suppose that's the frustration that a lot of actors have. They're always trying to be another part, really, or mm. wishing that they'd been cast as something else or done something else. And also, especially when you've been in a soap, what comes with that is that everybody, I, I've had this conversation with many actors that have been in to see us. When you've been in a soap, you do become synonymous with that character that you play. And everybody assumes that you are that person and that, that person's quirkiness or idiosyncrasies are yours. When actually they could be so far removed from you, but yet that's what you become known for. So I totally understand now why you... As you said, this this is what you kind of wanted to pass down to your children and future generations. Yeah. Um, tell me a little bit about um, the idea of Freddie Mercury with the book, because <laughs> I love this. I know it's bizarre, isn't it? I've never, I've never met Freddie Mercury when he was alive. I've never met any members of Queen. But um, I, I kept kind of, there's a lot of Queen music in the book. Mm -hmm. But I just kept, every time something big was happening in the book, I kept kind of hearing these Queen songs and... For example, when there's a chapter on energy raising, which is mm -hmm. sort of what you do when you're creating energy to put a spell out there, and there's lots and lots of people there, and 
that so the music I was hearing and I was playing it as I was writing it was Don't Stop Me Now. Yes. Queen. And it's really and every time you hear it, it's it's perfect for that kind of energy raising, for for getting, you know, really positive energy together. And I, I just kept hearing these songs and the lyrics seemed to fit and and I thought, oh this is really weird. Maybe um Freddie Mercury's kind of hovering around and maybe he's enjoying the book. Yeah. <laughs> I mean it, it sounds like because it kind of underscores the whole book it's got that filmic kind of feel about it you know almost like a Matilda or not so much a Harry Potter but you know those those amazing children's books that are just filled with like magical elements I can genuinely imagine this book as a film I mean is that something that you would consider well it'd be wonderful wouldn't it when I write I do write very much as if I'm watching it on a screen, I suppose. I suppose lots of people do that. And that would be amazing, wouldn't it? I mean, I do see it as a film and obviously I've written myself apart. Because <laughs> that would be daft not to, really. <laughs> yeah. But not the mother. I mean, the mother's kind of based on me. But yeah. I wouldn't play that part because it's too too close to mm-hmm. sort of what I am because she's an actress in the book yeah. as well. But, yeah, so it, that would be great. But, you know, because I've, I've got cast um in my head adrian brody i've written him a part amazing so. <laughs> so you've actually really thought about this oh yeah <laughs> oh my god no absolutely i can imagine it but come on, tell me who else who else is in, um, the, in the film well i haven't i haven't kind of thought beyond that really i just wrote this part and i i was thinking about adrian brody because the character it's marcus i was yeah. because he's got quite a big nose and then i just thought Oh, Adrian Brody's got a big nose. And also, I'd like to work with Adrian Brody. Who wouldn't? And um, I thought, oh, yeah, he could play that part. So, yeah, so I've, uh, he's the only one I've cast, me and him, actually. Yeah, just, just you two. <laughs> but it's going to be a fabulous <laughs> film. And there's something else that I, I noticed in the book. And, you know, obviously this book is, is aimed at young people. The way that you describe the father with having a dark cloud over his head, I mean, that obviously alludes to some form of depression I suppose I mean is that is it important to you to kind of explore those themes within your work when I thought about the father and I thought I wanted to um I wanted to make to write him as somebody that suffered with depression and the the daughter in it the the eldest daughter she sees she has this ability to see colors around people Mm -hmm. like their auras I, I guess you'd call it and, about, and her, on her dad, when he's going through an episode, she sees a cloud above his head mm. and sometimes it rains and sometimes it's just black, but obviously his hair never gets wet or anything. And she, the cloud reappears above her dad at the same time that one of the witches they live with just disappears, goes missing. So she thinks the two are linked. Mm. So that's why it becomes really important to her to find Phyllis, the missing witch, because she thinks that if she finds her, that dad's cloud will disappear. So that is explored um, quite gently, I think. Um, Hopefully from a child's perspective, not really understanding what's going on, but she does have conversations with her mum about what's going on with dad and you know, and, and how difficult it is for him. Because I found that really interesting that you'd put it in there because I I have very frank conversations with my son about mental health and, you know, I've suffered so badly with anxiety, which you know. And so for, for me, having having an element like that in a children's book that you can, as a parent, 
potentially explore and maybe look into a little deeper I think it's really helpful as a tool as um, for, for parents in general so I'm really grateful that you'd like you know explored that area and as we've said you know it, it is aimed at young people however you've had like a fascination and an interest in witchcraft for many many years haven't you I mean just take me back to where that began uh, something, I suppose, from my mum, really, because uh, she used to be able to sort of look in your hand and tell you different things. And I think as she's got older, that ability's gone. But I've always been interested in the whole, uh, you know, magical and spiritual mm. element of life. And I just want to point out very clearly, it's got absolute, as far as I'm concerned, what I do is absolutely nothing to do with any kind of Satanism yeah. or anything like that, mm. because that's not the way I, what I'm interested in. And yeah. the, the Wicca is really really, if you look into Wicca, which is a kind of religion, um, that's more what I follow, which is embracing nature. Um, It's celebrating different festivals throughout the year that we celebrate pretty much in a Christian, you know, calendar anyway, Mm. things like Easter and May Day, except they're just called slightly different names. So it's celebrating that. And, you know, we've just had, so we're recording this early, early August, but we've just had Lamas Festival, which is like the first harvest festival. And it's really what's happening to the earth. It's starting to slow down and go towards autumn, but we're thanking the earth really for the first harvest. Mm -hmm. And then the second harvest comes later on in September, which is like the autumn equinox. So it's celebrating the cycles of of the earth and lots of people that are Wiccans don't actually practice witchcraft Mm. but you can if you want to and I don't really do very much now I have little sort of superstitiony things I have got a broomstick by the front door because I do feel there's the old folklore that says that if you've got your broomstick by the front door no evil spirits will cross it you won't nothing will come past your broomstick and having rosemary out the front door is another like positive uh, thing to do it's supposed to be lucky um, so I follow things like that, but I do make the little spell kits and, and sell them on my Facebook page. Yeah, because I was just about to ask you then, tell me a little bit more about a Samantha Spells, which is your Facebook page. Mm. And people can visit you and um, have a chat with you. And then obviously yep. you do you do demonstrations, you talk a lot on there. So tell me a little bit more about it. So it's just, it's a page. So it's different to a profile um, because a profile is like your private, where you've yeah. got your friends and stuff, where pages are public. So if you look it up, you have to look up, you have to click the page that you're looking mm up and it's called Samantha Spells and I do live um, once a fortnight now really I do live angel card readings on there so people can watch it live on the page I always post when I'm going on and they just sort of say can I have a card please in the comments and I pick out cards for people and just explain what they mean and try and do that for an hour and um, also it's got all the information on the different spells that I sell and um, more details on each one really but they're all positive things mm. um, there's nothing negative there because one of the, the main law of of Wicca if you like is harm ye none so you, you you don't do you don't put out bad thoughts bad feelings things because it will only come back on you threefold absolutely I mean given that you've been in the public eye for so long I mean were you ever hesitant to talk about your interest because of the connotations with it did you feel like oh I might maybe not mention that it's a difficult one because obviously when you're doing interviews with you know the the newspapers and stuff yeah it's always very sensational so it's yeah. gonna be you know Samantha Giles is a witch and she put a love spell she bewitched her husband and yeah. all this rubbish which makes me sound like you know either a bit crazy or 
slightly demonic or something and it's not like that at all you know so so it is difficult with the press because they do twist the truth mm-hmm. always but it's nice to do interviews like this because then you can actually get to the crux of what I'm talking about and uh so it is one of those things where you're not sure what to do, whether to sort of broadcast it. But I think that it's a very positive path mm. and it's teaching people about the earth and the importance of um, being green and looking after your environment and nature. And it's taking back people back to sort of the grassroots, really, of what herbs you can use for different things, um, things that work. You know, like how many of us, if we get stung by a stinging nettle, pick up a dock leaf? Yeah, Absolutely. So it's all things like that, really. And and then I use crystals as well. And crystals are very positive with different attributes. You can use different crystals for different things. So I use a lot of those in the spell kits. So really, all magic is, it's very much like The Secret, if people have read that, or manifesting. You are doing a little ritual, very simple usually, which is kind of focusing your energy on what you'd like to achieve. And then you're putting it out there into the universe. And then you forget about it, really, let it go and wait for it to manifest. Well, this is the thing. So much of it is about energy, isn't it? And the transfer of energy. I mean, I personally have found in the last three to four years, particularly on a well-being journey anyway, which I've been on, and it's kind of what really sparked this podcast and the, the capsule itself, is that I found that people are becoming so much more accepting of different spiritual practices. You know, a few years back, it would be like, oh my God, that's really hippie stuff. Whereas now, you know, Reiki is on every single spa menu across the country. Do you feel like it's there's a change happening? I think they are. I think it's, it's still quite slow um, because people... People are afraid of things that they don't understand or or that they don't really know. Lots of people still don't know, believe it or not, what Reiki is. And and you know, I mean, I I've got my Reiki one, so I can practice Reiki, and it's it's so relaxing, so peaceful. I, want, I need to do my Reiki too, actually. So it's it is getting better, but I think that's part of the reason I wanted to write about things like this in a children's book because I wanted to educate children about a kind of more a way of living which is more spiritual which is perhaps got more to it it's not shallow this world we're in at the moment everything's so shallow everything's so disposable Mm. and I want to show people that actually there is much more to life definitely there's so much more richness isn't there in the earth um whether that's educating people about fashion even you know sustainable fashion Mm. and not buying things and throwing it away because of the harm it's doing to the planet. And even throughout this whole period of coronavirus, you know, we've seen how much by stopping, how much more our planet has just like lived and breathed and healed because we've not been hammering at it and, you know, kind of using all of the resources that we've got and putting so much pollution into the atmosphere. I also think that at the beginning of the coronavirus, everybody kind of had that two-week lockdown period and had to go back to basics. It kind of lends itself to what you're saying about a different way of life of, you know, people having allotments in their garden and, you know, being self-sufficient and not having so much stuff that's processed. Would you say that your practices are really integral to your personal well-being? Yeah, I think so. I, I, um, I found particularly... Since I've had, you know, I've been at home more, obviously, because we've been in the lockdown and there's there's not much work about and I haven't had to travel. It's like a detox thing that happens at first where you sort of 
I was very upset when we when we started lockdown. I can remember crying and saying, that's it, everything's over now, you know, I'm not going to get any work, it's all terrible, you know, yeah. and being really quite depressed. And then after that thinking, well, uh, we're, we're in this, we've got to get on with it. And then actually the, the joy of, I mean, don't get me wrong, it's been hard doing the homeschooling, but the joy of... <laughs> oh, yeah, tell me about it. Honest <laughs> to God, it's nearly done me in. <laughs> Sorry, go but, on. Yeah. But it's also getting to know your child, isn't it? Because you're seeing them in a totally different way. You're seeing this person that they're like at school that the teachers sit down and talk to you about and you think, oh, yeah, yeah, and you kind of let a lot of it go over your head. And then when you're actually there doing the teaching with them and seeing how they're changing or what they're grasping and what they're not. And and simple things like going out for a walk every day, which is what we've done, growing more stuff in the garden, which I do anyway. So, yeah, it is part of it's it's like you're healing yourself as well, going back to basics. Well, because for you, obviously, the coronavirus kind of came at a time when you'd not long left Emmerdale. For me personally, I left and there was still kind of lots going on. Mm. But for you, it must have been a real shock to the system, as you say. Yeah, it was because I was just starting to sort of, I was starting to have a few meetings in February. I'd just changed agents in the January. So things were sort of moving kind of towards hopefully getting more work and so on. And then that happened. And I I thought, well, that's theatre out the window for the next, certainly the next year, you know, when it and telly, I know the soaps and certain things have gone back, but there's still a, you know, it's still very slow and lots of characters are being cut out of things so Mm. that people can keep casts quite small so that they can maintain the social distancing. So yeah, it's a very tough time. Definitely. I mean, do you think that in times of uncertainty, we look to spiritual practices to kind of help us. I, I remember when I was about to leave Emmerdale and I went to your dressing room and you did me a card reading and so much of what you said literally came to fruition within the following weeks about traveling and all kinds of stuff. And I remember feeling so safe that it was all meant to be. Do you think that, you know, obviously in these times we do turn to things that are more spiritual to kind of guide us and try and help us believe in much more optimistic um, mindsets. I think so. I think everybody needs to feel that they've done the right thing, don't they? They Mm. need that kind of reassurance or, um, you know, just to know that everything's going to be okay. And it doesn't always... I mean, sometimes you can have readings and them not always make sense or Mm. maybe I always think sometimes the cards or whatever just don't want to tell you anything. So you're not meant to know anything right now. Sometimes it's like that. But I think I think so, because it is hard to keep that faith, isn't it? Faith is one of the hardest things ever. And it's like I keep saying to myself, something's coming, something's coming. And I do feel that. Uh, that something positive is coming. That for, I'm talking about for me, work-wise, I suppose. Um, but it's hard to hold on to that. It definitely is. I mean, do you find that, you know, um, my best friend, she's a spiritual healer and she was a dancer, but her calling has been elsewhere. And she's talked to me a lot about um, her purpose and her services. And do you find that offering your services and knowing that you're helping people keeps you kind of feeling positive and keeps you going. Yeah, definitely. And especially when you get the positive feedback. I mean, just recently I posted on my page about a lady, you know, a picture of a lady's baby that she tried all this IVF and then she bought one of the Change Your Luck charms and that month she did it, you know, the IVF worked. So there's the baby. And I know that has happened. You know, we've had loads of positive success stories with that, which is brilliant. And then somebody else had messaged to say they'd bought the 
job manifestation star and her husband's just found out that he's got, you know, that oh. his job's safe, that he was going for all this sort of thing. So, I mean, they don't always, I'm not saying they're always going to have the positive results because sometimes life or whoever's in charge, if you like, has got other plans for you mm. and maybe things, you know, don't work out like that for a reason. But but there are also loads and loads of positive um, results. And I think that's because what happens when people do a spell is that they let go of their anxiety a little bit and they go, this is going to be okay because I've done a spell mm. and I feel really positive. And it's not so much doing the spell that changes things. It's the fact that it's changed their mindset. Mindset, yeah. definitely. And then whatever, whatever decisions they start to make naturally go about achieving that final end yeah. goal, isn't it? Yeah. But that is such a hard thing to do. And I think, like you say, sometimes it just takes that coming to somebody like you or looking elsewhere and having that little spin on your mindset to then change change it up. Or even, I suppose, for those people that have found themselves you know, down on their luck in the last 12 months, 18 months in this whole period, have been forced to kind of reassess. And some people have come out of it a lot better because actually they've got rid of so many bad things that were in their lives. They've, like you said at the beginning, kind of detoxed. So they're living a, a more of a simpler but richer life. Um, going back to Emmerdale, as I mentioned in my introduction, you played Bernice on and off for 20 years. I mean, how was it saying goodbye to her this time around? I know when, when I left Alicia, I took the coat off and I was ready to go, mm -hmm. but I still felt sad to say goodbye to her. How was it for you after all that time? Yeah, I mean, it is sad. It sounds ridiculous, 20 years, because... I know that's how long the character's been around for. But, but there was a break. Yeah, yeah, I had a 10-year ten ten year break. So I did three years initially and then seven years this time. So, yeah, they felt like two different jobs, actually, because oh, there was really? such a big gap between right. the, the first um, playing it and then the second time. Now, I was definitely ready to go. I think not... You know, not for any reason. I haven't had any big falling out with anybody. It's just I felt, you know, I've played this character for a long time now. I want to play somebody else. You know, that's what actors do, play different roles. But it was sad because I do like her. I like her more this time than when I played mm. her the first time. And I think she's quite interesting and quite layered. And I think hopefully, you know, the public seemed to like her. So it was it was good. It was the right thing to do. I wasn't I wasn't as sad as I was the first time around when I when I finished. Right. I mean, it's yeah, I, I can understand that. And you were ready. I think when you're ready, you know, don't you? You know, when you're ready to go and you think, right, OK, and you've made peace with it. Mm. Obviously, you, you do that six weeks ahead of everybody else because like you have all that time to kind of go, you do a bit of grieving and then you go, OK. And then more than anything, I think one of the hardest things is the, the schedule side of things of going from so many hours a day, so many scripts a week, all that mental chaos to... Kind of calm. I remember having this conversation with John Middleton and he was like... I don't know what to do with myself. I've got all this free time. I mean, how, in the first instance, how did you kind of deal with that very, those first few months? Well, I didn't miss the traveling and um, <laughs> it was quite good in one way because I think it would have been harder to say goodbye to it if I'd lived in Leeds because you're sort of there, aren't you? And it's mm. too convenient almost and you're bumping into people. And I was very glad not to go to Sainsbury's or other supermarket and bump into anybody. Not yeah. that I didn't want to see people. It's just that, 
you know, I'm very much, this is who I am at work and this is who I am when I'm not at work. Mm. And I like to keep that separate. And also as an actor, you know, this is what we're like. We we get very close to people when we work with them. And then when you finish your job, you kind of, <laughs> bye-bye. Just go. And you don't tend to keep in touch very much with people, do you? And it's sort of... And it doesn't mean you don't care, but it's just the way we work. And then you might work with them again and get mm. that intensity again and then bye. And then, you know, go back to your normal life. And it's it's weird like that, but that's that's the way we are. So I didn't want to bump into people, so I didn't have to worry about that. So it And I was just writing, really. I was focusing on that. And being with the children, because that is hard, the work-life balance as a mum... Um, you know, with your kids trying to, and you know, your daughter is, there's only a couple of weeks, I think, between days. Fred. Uh, yeah, days between. Isn't he the first or he's second? He's the first of August. And yeah. my, my, Olivia's the 31st of July. Yes, yeah, so literally like two days between it, between them. And I know I've struggled really, you know, to, to, to have that work-life um, balance of being a really good hands-on mum, but equally, you know, support a, a, a career. I mean, how was that? A struggle for you at times as well yeah because we don't have any um we don't have any relatives around really right so we're very much kind of getting on with it ourselves um my parents live you know in Kent so that's quite a long way away so we we we're, we're pretty much doing it all ourselves yeah. so that's hard when you don't have that respite of you know the kids going to somewhere to stay over or something I mean it's fine though it's just you just get on with it's what we've always known I suppose so we just you know get on with it but yeah it's not not easy especially when you are doing your own work and I think sometimes a partner can my husband you know goes out to work and I think the fact he'll come home and not realize that just because I've been at home doesn't mean I haven't been working <laughs> yeah well that's it isn't it and like when you are um you know you've got like a, a side string to your bow as well and you are developing things as much as you're not going out to the office so to speak if, if you're not in it you, people do find it kind of hard to understand I mean you know Thinking about when you were getting ready to leave, you know, you, you've been in the industry for such a long time. You know what it's like to be a, a jobbing actor. Did that worry you at any point? Did, or were you kind of excited to get back out there? A bit of both, really. I was excited, but then I think the reality hits you of, what am I doing? There's not much <laughs> yeah. work, actually. Um, but then I have this kind of probably quite foolish mentality where I think, oh, it'll be okay something will come up, it'll be okay, which is probably a bit stupid. But um, I think you have to have that blind faith. Otherwise, why would you why would you do it? And, and I quite like taking risks sometimes. I think, oh, come on, you know, life's, life's short. You know, let's do something dangerous. Let's take a risk. Why not? What's the worst that can happen? Well, I won't get any work. Okay, well, I'll just have to find something else. We'll have to go and do another job well this is it and I think I've, I've had you know spoken to quite a lot of actors and we've all come to the same conclusion it's so important to have that side hustle that other string to bow that other career so when you were writing your book that must have been like a lifeline for you you know coming straight out of the soap and then obviously in this time now so to finally be at this point where it's literally sat right there I mean it must be a dream I know it is because I never I didn't know if it would ever get published to be honest because I start when I when I'd written it first I sent it round to agents and mm. getting a literary agent oh my god it's like you know it's one of the hardest things and getting an acting agent's pretty hard yeah. isn't it? <laughs> and I just thought this is ridiculous how am I gonna and I didn't seem to make any difference I thought oh I'll be all right you know I've got a bit of a profile someone will yeah. read it someone will take me on no absolutely ages and then it was just sheer luck really that I did end up getting an agent 
very good agency, thankfully. And then it was the whole thing of getting a publisher. No, I've had so many rejections. It was was getting ridiculous. And I thought, well, this is never going to happen, is it? So I better just forget about that and work on the next thing. So, you know, coming from an acting background, you deal with rejection a lot. But was this a different kind of rejection? Did did, did this seem harder or on a par? You know, I think they're all on a par because I think you do tend to take it personally, don't you? I mean, I do this tutoring, a bit of acting tutoring now for Act for TV uh, school in Manchester. I do it in Liverpool. They've got classes in Liverpool, Manchester and Leeds. And um, Michael Jackson that runs it, who's casting director. Amazing casting director. Yeah, yeah. He's, he's lovely as well. He always says to the students, when you go for an audition, you know, you go and then you just forget it. Well, it just doesn't work <laughs> doesn't like that, work does like it? doesn't work like that, no. You cannot, and then you can't forget it. And then when you get the no or, you know, sometimes you don't hear anything, but when you do get rejected, it always feels very personal. I mean, acting, obviously, it's usually not personal and we're told that all the time, but it still feels mm. it. But yeah, this is... This is personal in a way because it's your words, your story, your characters. Mm. And someone said they don't want to publish it. And you think, well, how dare you? <laughs> how dare you not want to publish it? I mean, like with your writing, because you've, you've got a follow-up coming to this book. Am I right in I'm, thinking? I'm writing yeah. a sequel at the moment, yeah. So what is your process? Because when we spoke to Millie Johnson, she was like, you know, she and you know Millie really well. She was like, just... There's no order to it. There's no this. You know, you just literally just get on with it and hope for the best. What's your process? Well, I do have an I do have an idea. You know, I start with an, the idea and I kind of think about it for a while, and then I sort of research really, do lots of research, and I'm still mulling it over. It's like stewing around in my brain. I write lots of notes, and then eventually, after a few months, I start to write, and then sometimes I don't really know what's going to happen. Mm. But I know kind of the general gist, if you like. So I've got an outline and then things change as I start writing and the characters kind of take on their own life. And sometimes I write something and I think, oh, I didn't know that was going to happen. I think, oh, yeah, well, that character would do that or they wouldn't say that. So I have to change that. Or then I think, oh, I'm going to make this happen. You know, I want to surprise people. And so sometimes I'll think, oh, I'm going to pop this in. It surprises me. So if it surprises me, it'll surprise the reader. And then it takes it in different directions. So it is it is a bit organic for me. And do you think that you're, um, because you, you, you're used to working with characters and, you know, developing characters, would you say that that's kind of one of the most fun parts of your job is to, to develop those really rich characters? It's more than just a story overall arc. It's about that real character kind of, um, yeah, richness. Definitely. I mean, those characters are real people to me. And when I'm writing the book, you know, not necessarily this one, other ones that I've written, that I've been writing, I'm completely there in their world. And I feel like I know them and I, I'm sad to leave it behind. I don't want to finish writing yeah. it because I don't want to leave them. You know, they're, they're my friends. God, I sound like in that case. <laughs> no, you don't. But you, you, you know, I understand it. I totally understand it. I am quite a loner, really. I don't have many friends in real life. And I think that this is what's enjoyable about creating and being artistic. And that's what I love about acting is that you're, you're sort of um, making friends with people, creating characters that become your friends. Yeah, definitely. I mean, which do you think you enjoy more of? Do you enjoy the acting side or the writing side? And people ask this kind of question all the time, don't they? And it's hard. But it's difficult to get different things from both. Ideally, you like to, it's nice to do both. 
But at the because I've had a period of writing and not being with people, I need to do some acting work now or something that involves other people yeah. because it's not good for me to kind of not interact with people mm. I need I do need that and I miss the kind of work camaraderie and the work banter and all that kind of thing I do miss that in terms of your well-being like what do you do to protect your well-being like what practices or what things do you look to well I mean I don't really take much in the way of tablets or anything I do take collagen tablets oh wow not for my skin but for my joints really because I'm kind of hitting that menopause type age and um, I do find that when I wake up in the morning my joints are a bit creaky and a bit Mm. achy and I think that's been helping and I also take black co-wash at night and that has really stopped any kind of hot night sweat type Mm -hmm. things that I, I was starting to get a little bit of that so that's kind of dealt with that um, I exercise every day. I only really have one day where I don't exercise. What forms of exercise do you like doing? So um, I do like yoga, but I haven't done any yoga for a long time. Um, I've been doing the Joe Wicks. Ah, oh, pee with Joe. Pee with yeah, Joe. he's kept the nation going. <laughs> well, he's quite nice to look at, isn't he? <laughs> First thing in the morning. Um, so I've done, done a bit of that and I've got a running machine as well. So I do a bit of that, which I don't really like. I find that quite boring, but I can put the telly on and just, and I do uphill fast walking and a bit of cycling every now and again. So I try and mix it up a bit. And do you think that's helpful for your mental health as well to kind of keep you, you know, focused? I think exercise is absolutely paramount really for mental health. You know, whatever you can do, even if it's just going around the block for a little walk, um, it's. I think it's really important. I, I hate doing it a lot of the time because I prefer, I prefer to be dancing or yeah. doing something like that or, or climbing up a mountain or something. But, you know, for, for, for keeping you fit, it's so important. It's important for your heart, for, for everything. And, and obviously, like a lot of actors, you know, I'm, I don't want to be overweight. You know, I'm conscious of my body, probably unfortunately too much in a way I think I think we a lot of women are anyway Mm. and it's hard to avoid especially when you work in a business where you are feeling you know you see yourself on camera you see yourself in a photograph oh my god and I don't like looking at pictures of myself anyway because I always think my face looks fat and you know that kind of stuff so um it is something I'm aware of but I just try and I'm never going to be super skinny but as long as I can be healthy and kind of maintain a healthy weight then that's important definitely and I also think representation of bodies um, is really important in the media and that there shouldn't be one particular body type because it's been absolutely like saturated for many many years and particularly in the entertainment industry I um, was watching Judy and the Judy Garland film not long ago and Honestly, it I, it really broke my heart kind of how much pressure they put on her at such a young age of 14 years old and making her feel so bad. And that led to so many issues that she had later on in life and the things that they did with Marilyn Monroe and how they mm-hmm. basically changed her. And it's not healthy, in that mentality. And, and to be honest, we, we need to really clamp down on that. And I think as we go forward, we absolutely are. You know, we are like raising the flag and saying that's not acceptable. It's not acceptable to make women feel that they have to look a certain way to be beautiful. You know, we, ho- I hope we're getting to a point where 
all women are, and men are considered beautiful in their own right and it's about personality soul intelligence you know just anything really more than just the physical attributes of somebody because it's it's unhealthy for our kids particularly in this age of social media I mean you've got two young daughters and how do you feel about that like them growing up in this particular era yeah it is it it is a worry because I think particularly for girls I guess at the moment especially young young girls you know my eldest daughter's 12 so any anything she looks at you know it's it's very much the, the the pumped up lips and the heavy drawn eyebrows and this that and the other and I don't know. It does worry me. I mean, at the moment, she doesn't, she's not really, she's a bit like me. She's not really interested in clothes. Mm. I'm not, but that comes from a confidence thing. I don't, I never feel confident very much in in what I wear, but she's not really interested in clothes. She's going through the black leggings and t-shirt look. That's Mm. all she wants to wear, black leggings, a t-shirt and a cap. So she's not uh, concerned about that. My younger one just is going through a phase where she just wants to look cute. <laughs> Obviously, somebody's told her that and she thinks it's great because she can get away with loads if yeah. she looks cute. <laughs> but that's a worry though, isn't it? If someone's like, oh, oh I'm cute, I'm cute. Mm. And like that, using that word, it's, it's, it is a worry, I, I definitely feel. But yeah, so going back to the book, so where can we find the book now? Well, um, by the time this goes out, the book will be uh, out. So you can either order it on Amazon. Hopefully it will be in places like Waterstones and stuff. I mean, if not, you can order it from any bookshop. Yeah, let me know. And if you you like it, put a nice review on Amazon for me. I'd be very, very grateful. If you don't like it, keep it to yourself. (laughs) (laughs) We don't want to know that bit. But nobody's going to say that because it's an absolutely amazing book. I mean, Sam, unfortunately, we have run out of time for today and we didn't even get onto your love of cats. Oh, that's all right. (laughs) So you'll have to come back so we can talk all about that as well. Um, But as always, it's been an absolute pleasure to have you with me and when we stop recording this you can do me a nice energizing spell to get me through to the autumn (laughs) i hope you guys at home have had a a lovely time with us too and that we've given you an excuse for a a bit of sunday self-care time rosemary and the witches of pendle hill is available to buy it will be now online and in store so make sure you do grab a copy it will be amazing for back to school reading you can also see more from sam at her facebook page samantha spells if you're after well-being fashion and beauty news you can visit us at our website www.thecapsule.co.uk where you can also catch up with our previous podcast episodes by visiting the in conversation page and subscribing to any of our podcast channels and youtube do leave us your rates and reviews as we love hearing your feedback if you are super social you can also catch us on Instagram and Facebook at Official Capsule. I will be taking a break now for the holidays, but we'll return again in September with more fabulous guests, no doubt wearing a chunky jumper and a scarf. But in the meantime, I hope you all have a fabulous summer and all that's left for us to say today is goodbye. So it's goodbye from Sam. Goodbye. And goodbye from me. <laughs> <laughs>